Good morning. Hey, neighbor. We haven't met before. My name is Garrett, and we are going through the book of Mark. If you could turn to Mark chapter 11, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. Somebody will bring you one, or you can download the app on the phone. You know, nowadays it's kind of funny because you say turn in your Bibles too, and everybody whips out their phone, you know? Kind of awesome. So we're going through the book of Mark, and we land in Jesus's triumphal entry. And you know what's really encouraging about this to me is that if Jesus can use a donkey, he can use me, right? I mean, I love that. If Jesus can use the donkey, he can use me. Um, that, that, that's just very encouraging. But if you would look with me, chapter 11, verse 1. When they approached Jerusalem, that's the whole entourage that's coming with Jesus, his disciples, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, everybody. Remember, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. At Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. And we know from other gospels that this is a donkey. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Notice this, circle this, underline in this in your Bibles because it's extremely important. Say, the Lord needs it. Or the Lord has need of it. And we will send it back here right away. So they went and found a cold outside in the street, tied by a door. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they answered them, just as Jesus had said. So they let him go. Basically, they said, the Lord has need of it. They brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields, and those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Some of the other, uh, uh, Hosanna in the highest, right? It says that in the last verse, actually, of chapter, verse 10. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. He went into Jerusalem and into the temple, and after looking around at everything... Since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It's a plumb line to our life, God. It's a guide. It's a, it's a help. It renews our mind. It strengthens our resolve to follow you. It, it, it does all these wondrous things in our lives. And I pray that not one bit of it would come back void for you today, and you promise that it won't, Lord, but would, you, would we be able to open up our hearts and receive it, open up our minds and receive it? May we know you in a, in a more powerful, personal way today. Speak to us, God. Send your Holy Spirit to, to, to train us, equip us, correct us, rebuke us, encourage us, strengthen us, mold us, shape us into your image. This morning, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Interestingly enough, uh, here, we, here we see them, they're coming down, and like I just said, they, if God can use a donkey, he can use Garrett, right? If, if God can use a donkey, he can use each and every one of us. Uh, and he's coming down, he just raised uh, Lazarus from the dead, it's Passover week, and pretty soon Jesus is going to be crucified. One week from that day, well, less than a week from that day, Jesus is going to be crucified. But I want to look at verse uh, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 3. Where it says this, it says, the Lord needs it. So he goes up, he, he asks for this donkey, and this colt, the two disciples do, and they give it to him because the Lord had need of it. And, I, and this is an extremely interesting thing because so often we hold things so tightly, right? We hold things so tightly and God wants us to hold them with an open hand. And I think, you know, instantly these people gave it away. They just said, you know, as soon as they heard the Lord had need of it, boom, they gave it away. But how often do we, when the Lord says, I have need of this, I have need of that, I have need of your time, I have need of your life, I have need of your treasure, I have need of your talents, I have need of your gifts, that we hold on to it. And we, and we don't let go. We grip tightly. We hold on so tightly that the Lord can't even pry our fingers open. God wants us to hold everything with an open hand. The Lord has need of it, right? Don't hold on too tightly to what he has so graciously given you. And ask the question. I ask it without, I ask it all the time. Without hesitation, Lord, I want to be able to give to you exactly what you ask of me. Yet how often when the Lord says, give it to me, right, we, we hesitate. We, we say, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord. And he's saying, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. The Lord has need of it. And here's the coolest thing. The Lord has need of your life. He doesn't need anything realistically, right? But he invites you to come on a journey with him. He's saying, look, look, I will take your life. I will bless it. I will do things through your life that you never thought or dreamed possible but we hesitate when the lord tells us to do something or give something or or go somewhere or say something to somebody well if the lord has need of it man we should be like lord if you have need of it take it it's yours it's not mine you can have it with a with a clenched fist or an open hand which what are you going to have this morning what are you going to have this week you're going to have that clenched fist or are you going to have an open hand because God will get his praise and glory one way or the other. And I like to just come to him and say, okay, God, you can have my family. You know, I'm just a steward of it anyways. I mean, what do you mean, Garrett? You're just a steward of your family. God has graciously given me my kids to steward for his kingdom, whatever it may be. God has given me my wife, not to steward. I, I, never mind. I won't go there. <laughs> But without hesitation, I'm even willing to give her to the Lord, right? So we give our kids, we give our jobs, we give our lives, we give our time, we give our treasures, we give our talents, we say, we give our spiritual gifts and we say, Lord, they're yours. I'm not going to hold on to them anymore. I'm going to give them to you. And, and, and God, I know if I give them to you, you're going to bless it. And, and that's what these guys got. They heard that. And what did they do? They instantly gave it to the Lord, right? They instantly gave it to him. But here's what I want you to notice. This is, a cool, this is one of the coolest things in here. The donkey had never 
been ridden, ever. The donkey had never been ridden. So basically, the Lord gave the donkey back better than it was before. And I know this because I, I broke, I, I used to break horses and mules. I, I worked at a, a, an outfitter for years and, and um, I, I, my job was to break these, these stupid mules, man. Oh my goodness. And the thing about a mule, it's not like a horse. You know, you see people get on the horse and they're, and they're in their arena and they, you know, the horse bucks in Hollywood and all that. That's not how you break an animal. But, but the thing about mules are, I would get on this one mule and she was a buckskin mule. Her name was Ms. Mule. And, and I would pull her head back all the way to my leg. And um, I, this is probably, a, don't call PETA on me, okay? I had, a, I had a, we would take like chunks of hose and, and you'd use those on the mules, right? But you could pull a mule's head all the way back to your leg and be whacking the, the thing in the head with a hose. And that thing would go straight into the trees and take me off every time. And the worst part about it is you got to get back on that thing. We also would go out to um, Nevada uh, because the, the outfitter was in um, uh, the Tahoe area, and we'd get Mustangs. And there's, there's this one Mustang, was two years old, and his name was Mustango. And that thing never got its wildness out of it. I mean, nobody could get behind it. It would kick everybody but me. It was, it was this crazy thing. But sometimes that's how we are, right? And, 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 uh, and, we, and, and we're like stubborn mules, and we, and we just go our own direction, and, and, and we can get hit by sin and hit by consequences and get hit by all these different things and have our heads pulled all the way back by our legs and just keep going straight, even though it's going to hurt us. But not this donkey. This is the cool thing. God gave the donkey back better than it was before. So if you hold on to it, he can't do anything with it. But if you approach life with everything that you are and everything that you have with an open hand and say, Lord, you gave it to me anyways, take it as yours, he will give it back to you better than it was before. And I don't care what it is. I mean, I love the story of Moses when he's having this conversation with God. Remember, he's like, well, how will they know, Lord? How will they know if, 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 uh, if you sent me? And, he, and, and what does God say? God says, throw down your staff. And Moses had this staff for who knows how many years. He'd been a shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness. So he takes the staff and he throws it down. And what happens to it? It turns into a snake. And what does God say? Pick it back up. And Moses grabs it by the tail and it turns back into his staff. And that, be, that staff became the rod of God, changing the world. I mean, he parted the Red Sea with this thing. He turned the water the bl into blood. He, I mean, this thing, I mean, he threw his, his staff down and it became, uh, it ate all the other snakes. I mean, this thing became the rod of God. He held it up and when he held it up, they beat the Amorites back. I mean, this thing, God, God had taken the staff and made it better than it was before. And that's what he wants to do in our life. Let the Lord have it. When the Lord says, I have need of that, open up. Amen? God is awesome when we just totally submit and give everything to him. And sometimes I can be a, a jackass. By the way, that's another word for a mule. So we're, I mean a donkey, so we're okay, right? Let the Lord lead us in the way he is going to lead us. Let the master have it, and he'll give it to you back better than it was before. And by the way, it's all his anyways, right? 
I mean, everything's his. Like Psalm 50 says this. It says, I will, t- I will not take a bull from your household or male goats from your pens for Every animal of the forest is mine, of the cattle on a thousand hills. I know the birds of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. Another thing I want you to notice. At the word of the Lord, they gave it. At the word of the Lord. How important is the word of the Lord? We obey the word of the Lord. So they said, hey, the Lord has use of it. Now that came from the Lord, the, 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 the word, right? It came from the, the Logos, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so the word of God, Jesus Christ himself said, I have use of that. I have need of that. Boom, open-handed, instantly. Here, it's yours. Take it. And again, he gave it back better than it was before. And guys, Jesus never held anything back from you, ever. He willingly gave his life and was tortured and brutalized and mutilated and rejected and spit on and slapped, crown of thorns shoved in his head, nailed to a cross, The wrath of God and the judgment of God that you and I rightly deserved and the sins of the world poured out on him. He gave everything. He gave it for you. How much easier should we be? How how easy should it be for us when he says, the Lord has use of that. The Lord needs that. That we just give it, right? Amen? I mean, this is the, the same God that in him and through him and by him all things were created. Yet, listen to this. Jesus owned all things yet possessed nothing. He was rich but made himself poor. He was the exalted king in his heavenly glory, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus created the heavens and the earth, yet nowhere to lay his head. He created all things, yet relied on people to help him in his ministry. He fashioned lakes and seas, yet borrowed a boat. He created every tree, yet died on a wooden cross. He created rivers and springs and lakes and waters, but yet he said, I thirst. He was the God of all creation, yet subjected himself to creation. He created rocks. And mountains, yet he was laid in a borrowed tomb. He was right in on the clouds, yet borrowed a donkey to ride in Jerusalem. He was the lion of the tribe of Judah, but became the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. And he, he loves us so much. Why did he choose a donkey? Well, there's three reasons. First reason he chose the donkey is because it was a sign of peace. Have you ever seen a king ride in on a donkey? No, they ride in on chariots, stallions. I mean, see, could you imagine Caesar riding in on a little donkey? No, he's got this flared golden chariot pulled by, by two or four of the greatest horses in the, in the world, Right? This is, this is how kings ride in. Yet Jesus rode in on a donkey. It showed his humility, and it showed that he was the king of peace. Because when you were going to another army or another king, and you wanted to let them know that you were coming in peace, you would ride in on a donkey. I mean, this is, a, this is Jesus making a huge statement. But the other reason is, it's because of prophecy. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Jesus always 
keeps his word. Every word that he ever utters will come true. Every word of prophecy that happens in the Old Testament would come through. Matter of fact, in the book of Daniel, and this is mind-boggling, in the book of Daniel, Daniel lays it out to the day that he would be riding into Jerusalem. The 69 and 7 weeks, he says, look, that, that's, I think it's 17,388 days to the day Jesus rode in. Daniel predicted it hundreds of years before Christ. To the day Jesus rode in, yet they missed it. They missed it. So three reasons he rode on a donkey. Humility, peace, and prophecy. Now, Zechariah 9.9, it'll be on the screen for you. Check this out. Zechariah prophesied of this day too. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Check that out, guys. And then all the way back in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God was laying out this very time when he would walk, ride the donkey into Jerusalem. He didn't want his people to miss it, although they would miss it. He didn't want his people to miss it, and he doesn't want you to miss it this morning because God keeps his word. Every prophecy, everything that he ever says will come true, and he doesn't want us to miss it because he's faithful and he's true. And all the way back in the book of Genesis, when Jacob was prophesying over his son, he prophesied over one of his sons, and his son was named Judah. And Judah was whom the Messiah would come through. King David came through Judah, and Jesus came through the tribe of Judah. So, so the, this prophecy is for this time and this moment. It says this in Genesis 49.9. It says, this, and it'll be on the screen as well. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine. Listen to this guy, that's mind-boggling. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He is the vine and we are the what? Wake up. He is the vine and we're the what? Branches, right? I mean, look at this prophecy all the way back in the book of Genesis. This is, this is thousand years, I think it's 2,000 years, I, don't, I, I should have looked that up, but it's, it's, it's a long time before Jesus came. He was washed, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Who's that sound like to you? Shiloh, Shiloh's the prince of peace, it means peace, he's the prince of peace, he's, he's the choice vine, and he's going to wash his garments in his blood for you and for me, and, this, and he's going to ride in on a donkey, and they missed it, Jesus keeps his word, now who's praising here, think of all the people, Jesus is coming in, and who's praising, who's, who's giving God the glory, we have Lazarus, we have all the lepers that were healed, all the blind people that were healed, the woman whose son was raised from the dead in Nome, right, all these people are praising, the, the woman with the flow of blood, Lazarus, who's been raised from the dead, all these people that God has done miracles through Jesus Christ are praising and singing and crying out, and if somebody had witnessed a miracle, I guarantee you, they're like, this is him, this is it, this is Jesus, this is the king, this is the Messiah. 
And he's coming in and he's riding on a donkey and they lay their clothes out before him and they lay the palm branches and tree branches and everything out before the king of king and the king of glory. And every prostitute and broken sinner and hurting person and, and, and addict and, and all these people that have been touched by Jesus are praising Jesus. And, and you know what bugs me? And we see it in, in, in churches all the time. Even though everybody else is praising what Jesus does and has done and, and did, there's always the Pharisees. And I don't care what church you're in or what church you go to or what church you used to go to, every church has their Pharisees. And why everybody else is praising and giving glory to God because God's miracles, that God, there's always those people. Why are, why does he eat with drunkards and sinners and Pharisees and prostitutes? Why does he do that? Right? You know, or they got the plank sticking out of their eye, right? They're plank eyes, you know? And every time they, they walk around, right, they got this big plank, you're like, Whoa! Dude, that dude almost nailed me with that plank sticking out of his eye, right? And, and, they, and they, they're clueless. Everybody else sees the plank. Two planks sometimes, right? Uh, but them. And that's how these Pharisees were. They're like, you stop it right now, right? I mean, you guys know the story. In Luke, it says this. It says, some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silence, even these rocks would cry out. Even the stones would cry out. There they are, standing on the side, plank eyes. What does Jesus say? And I read this one commentary once. I heard it from a friend of mine first. He told me about it. He said that when you ride into Jerusalem, and I could only find one source, but when you ride into Jerusalem, there was, there was graves. Uh, there was a grave site on the side, and, and there was these stones sitting, uh, stones of remembrance sitting on all the graves. And so, I mean, whether that's what he was talking about or whether the stones on the side of the tr rocks or that they, they, they laid stones in the, in the road where he was traveling, wherever it was, what he was saying was he said, look, this has been prophesied. This is the moment in time when I'm supposed to be coming. 1700, I mean, 17,388 days from the time they were in captivity to the very second, the very moment, the very day that I'm riding into Jerusalem. And this is that moment in time. And even though the Zechariah prophecy and many other prophecies and the Genesis prophecy, they still missed it. They didn't get it. Matter of fact, less than a week away, Jesus would be hanging from a cross because they missed it. Make them stop. Listen, Jesus will get his rejoicing. Jesus will get his praise. Jesus will get his honor. Jesus will get his glory. Whether you hold on to it like this or whether he has to pry your fingers open to give it to him. And while the common folk were singing and praising, glorifying God, there's these knuckleheads. Verse 9, 
Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted. By the way, this is like they're, they're crying out at the top of their lungs. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he. The blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is, there's so much in here. The, the kingdom of David was the promise of the Messiah. And here they are. They're crying out. Hosanna means save now. And they're crying out. And by the way, guys, this is, this is really cool. You got to get this. This is the exact song they would sing at Passover on their way up to the temple. This is the exact song they would sing. Matter of fact, in the upper room, when they were all in the upper room, guess what? They sang this song. When they were walking out to the Garden of Gethsemane, guess what? They sang this song. It's out of Psalm 118, and I'll read it to you real quickly. It says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You can't make this stuff up, guys. Either you believe it or you don't. But the very song they were singing represented that Jesus was going to the cross. Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, by the way, bind the sacrifice with cords to the altar. By the way, Jesus, we're going to bind you to a cross. By the way, Jesus, you're going to be tortured and mutilated, and you're going to bleed. And let's sing this joyous little song. And I don't know what was going on in Jesus' mind while that song was being sung, but I know this. It had to be an intense moment for him. Because people around him didn't have a clue what was going to go on. In the correlated passage in Luke, while everyone else is exciting and praising, Jesus is crying. Jesus is sobbing. I'll read it to you. It'll be on the screen too if you want to follow along. It says this, it says Luke 19.41, it says this, Jesus' heart was breaking. He says, as he approached and saw the city. Remember, G Jesus was a Jew. G these are Jesus' people. Jesus came to them first and then to us. He came to the Jew first and then also the Greek and the Gentile. And, and maybe you're, I mean, is there any Jewish people in here? Maybe there's a couple, right? Anybody? One. Anybody else? And so he's coming to the people that are going to reject him. And he says this, as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it. By the way, when Jesus wept for Lazarus, it was just tears running down his face. But when Jesus wept for the city, he was wailing in the Greek. Saying, if you knew this day would bring you peace, 
But now it is hidden from your eyes, for the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on either side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst, because you did not recognize the time God visited you or the time of your visitation. They totally missed that God, Jesus Christ, the man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, left heaven, left glory, left perfection, left praise, left honor to come, become a man and die. And they missed it. And Jesus saw the man of sorrows heart was breaking and Jesus saw everywhere everybody's praising everybody's rejoicing hosanna in the highest celebration and joy yet all of a sudden with great brokenness Jesus begins to wail coming down the mount of olives looking at the beautiful city of Jerusalem and Jesus had prophesied and predicted when his disciples said, look at this beautiful temple. Do you see how glorious and gorgeous it is? Do you see it? Isn't it amazing? And Jesus said to them, there, there won't be one stone left on this. In 70 AD, Titus came. Titus killed 1.1 million people. It was so bad. People were dying. He killed 1.1 million people, enslaved 97,000 people, and he crucified 30,000 people in two days because they rejected. And Jesus saw it. Jesus predicted it because they rejected their Messiah. Guys, let that be a warning because they rejected their Messiah because they did not see the time of his visitation and the consequences of their disobedience and blindness. And I can't assume everybody in here is saved this morning. <laughs> but I can tell you this. There are always consequences for rejecting Jesus Christ in this life and the life to come. There are always consequences for holding on tightly to the things that you think are yours. Rather than holding an open hand and saying, whatever I have is yours, Lord. Take it. It's yours. Please take it. Sin always bears consequences. In Galatians, it says, so shall man reap, so shall man sow. And, and I don't believe God's this God carrying this big stick waiting to clobber you every time you turn around. I don't believe that at all. What I believe is, is the consequences that you will face, the discipline that you will face. 99 times, I'll give a little leeway. 90% of the time, the consequences are always your sin. And so he sees this, and he's, he's broken. And, and you remember the people, they cried out. They said, you're, you're, his blood be on our, our hands. His blood be on us. They're screaming, and crucify him, crucify him. Let Barabbas go. His blood be on our hands. And guess what? It happened. Their children's blood would be on their hands. And parents, let that be a warning to us. So the way we live, the way we, we hold on so tightly, the way we say the Lord has need of that, the need of you, need of all these things, what happens is, is when we hold on too tightly, what happens is, is, is we lose our kids. And before we know it, it's too late because they are watching everything that we do. 
God answered them and he paid for the blood. Josephus, who was actually trying to negotiate for Titus, Josephus was a secular Jew. Actually, he was a Jew that wrote for for, uh, uh, historical things that were happening in Jesus' time. He even confirms that Jesus was real and Jesus' miracles are real. So that's an outside source that we can have from Josephus. But Josephus says this. He tried to negotiate a peace between Titus and the Jews. and, And check this out. Josephus, the Jewish resistance was so fierce against Titus, Roman legions, he had Jerusalem encircled and starved out, and the Jews lacked strength to bury their dead, so they started throwing them over the walls of the city into the surrounding ravines. It rocked Titus's world so much, he says, when Titus saw these valleys choked with dead, he raised his hands to heaven and called to God and said, this was not my Titus also told them not to burn the temple, but somebody threw a torch in there and burned it to the ground, and all the gold in the temple melted and went down into the cracks of the temple stones. And to get the gold out, just like Jesus predicted, the Romans took, took bars and they pushed the stones off and then pulled the gold out, just like Jesus said. Not one stone will be left on this. And this was the consequence Just as Jesus predicted. Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. Hence, Jesus wept. Sobbed. Cried. One of the heartbreaking things for me is to walk in my city and see people in their depravity and their brokenness and their hurt and their pain and their suffering and their brokenness. And when you see that, when I see that, do we weep for our city? Do we weep for our nation? Do we care what's going on around us? Do we care that people are going to spend eternity separated from a holy, righteous God? Do we even care? And I know that's a heavy question, guys. But when we're like this, God can't get the glory and the praise in our lives. Although he wants to, he desires to. But when we're like this, We weep for the broken. We weep for the lost. We weep for the hurting. We weep for our city. We weep for for our nation. We weep for the world. We weep with a broken heart. I mean, I I pray this prayer all the time. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Matter of fact, Lord Jesus, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? God, would you break us, Lord? Would 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 you help us to open up our hands, God? Would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Would we weep for our nation? Would we weep for our city? Would we weep for our family that's far from you? Would we weep for the lost and the broken and the hurting in Jesus' name? Check it out. Verse 11 says this. 
He went into Jerusalem and into the temple, and notice this, after looking around at everything since it was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now look at Jesus, here he is, he comes in, and we're going to look at this next time uh, when we see him go in and trash the temple, but... But, but he goes in there and he sees the lies and the treachery and the greed and the covetousness and the hypocrisy. He looks around. It breaks his heart there too. But this time he has righteous anger, which we'll look at. And he realizes one thing. There was no place for him. My father's house should be a house of prayer. Should have been a place of worship and prayer and sacrifice, and humility, and peace, and love, and grace, and, and, and the things of the Lord. Yet, he goes into the temple, he walks in, and he looks around, and he said, there's no place for me. And man, this is, this is huge, because God, guys, guess what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Corinthians. You were bought with a price. Your life is not his own, your own. So what now happens in our own lives and what is the application for our own life here is now he walks into our hearts and he looks around. Will he find hypocrisy, lies, deceit, greed, lust, anger, all the, all the garbage that was going on in the temple, all the greed, all the, all the lies, all the, all the garbage. What will he see or will he see himself, Christ in you, the hope of glory? Will he see himself exalted? And so Jesus goes in and he looks around. And now Jesus, I believe, looks around in the temple of our own hearts because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to preach this church down to a manageable size. But this is, these aren't my words, guys. Look, look for yourself. This is Jesus. And I love you too much not to tell you the truth. Because I don't want to get to heaven and you come up to me and you give me a kick right in the face. Why didn't you tell me? Right? No place for him. Guys, the worst destruction is coming. Than the one in Jerusalem. When he comes back the second time, he will not be riding a donkey. He will be riding a white stallion. Matter of fact, it'll be up on the screen. Let's read it together. Again, these aren't my words. Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. He came in as the humble humble king but this time check it out his eyes were like a fiery flame verse 12 and many crowns were on his head he had a name written that no one knows except himself he wore a white robe he wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god the armies that were were, were in heaven followed him on a white horse wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came out of his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty, unless you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not appointed to wrath. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. Oh, I love this name. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
First time around on a donkey. Second time around, front row. King is coming. My friends, you do not want to be face to face with this Jesus. <laughs> you want to be on the other side of the cross, not this side of the cross. But here's what I know. When he comes back, guys, for all you blood-bought saints of the Most High God, he comes to refresh the weary, to heal the brokenhearted, to turn beauty from ashes, all the pain and the suffering and the heartache and the, and, and the abuse and, and the hurt and, and the cancer and the death and the dying and the sickness and the broken marriages and the broken families and, 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 and the gossip and the slander about you and the, the lies and the, and, the, and the evil social media posts and all the horrible things and all these things are going to come to a screeching halt because of his mad love for his blood-bought saints. And he's going to say to all of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, he's going to say, enter into the joy of the Lord, and we're going to spend eternity with him, and we're going to rule and reign with him, and we're going to enjoy him forever, and we're going to be face-to-face with him. And that is why we serve him. That's why we believe in him. That's why we obey him. That's why we open up our hands and we say, Lord, take my life. And when I came to the Lord, it was so easy to do back then. I was, at, I was in the gutter. I was broken. I had lost everything. So when I came to him, I'm like, here, Lord, take it all. Like, yeah, all right, thank you. Thank you very much. But we walk with the Lord for a while, right? We walk with the Lord for a while. And what happens? We're like... I got this, Lord, right? We, we begin to cleanse our fists, but yet, yet, yet he says, give it to me. The Lord has need of it. Give it to me. And he looks around in our hearts and our lives. He will cleanse his temple. He will sweep away the things you're holding on to. And if you feel incapable this morning, Lord, I just can't do this. Look at the donkey. I love looking at the donkey. God, you took that donkey and and made it better than it was before. You gave that donkey back broke, saddle worthy. And that donkey came into town. You got to think about this thing. This donkey had never been set on. And they're screaming and shouting, Hosanna, praise be in the name of the Lord God. I mean, people are going nuts and they're throwing things in front of this donkey. And that donkey just do, 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 do. Why? Because King Jesus was riding it. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, Lord... Ride forward upon me as you rode into Jerusalem, mounted on that humble donkey. Let me hear the people cry to you, Hosanna in the highest. He loves you. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, and I've been praying this all week, guys, I do not want you to stand before 
this Jesus. Put it back up on the screen. I'll close with this. I promise. Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven open. And there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. And he judges and makes war with justice. Not against the saints. But those that have rejected him, he makes war. His eyes were a a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. Most likely us, by the way. Those that have gone to heaven, we'll see, maybe angels, but pretty much sure it's us. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will also trample the winepress of of the fierce anger of God. That's crushing grapes as a winepress, guys. That's stomping and crushing things until wine is made. It's going to crush his enemies. Those that rejected Christ, those that denied Christ, those that that don't believe in Christ, those that aren't blood-washed saints, he is going to crush them under his feet. He will also trample the winepress of fierce anger of God the Almighty, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you know him? Is he your God? Is he your king? If you don't know him, please don't leave here without him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. You're a good and gracious God. Will you save those that are far from you this morning in Jesus' name? Listen, I'm not going to assume everybody is saved in here. And if God is calling you right now, you're chosen before the foundations of the world and he's madly in love with you. He wants a relationship with you right now. If you don't know Jesus, will you just stand right now if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I don't want anybody to walk out of here without accepting Christ. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody want to receive Jesus Christ this morning? Well, if you do, and you're too embarrassed to stand up, I want you to come talk to me afterwards because I want to help you start your walk with Jesus Christ. I want to give you a Bible. I want to disciple you. I want to pour into you. May the Lord richly bless you. Remember, blood-bought saints of God, cleanse your temple. (laughs) Open your hand love Jesus. Amen.